Luke chapter 10, we're in this series called Basic, right? Trying to get back to the basics of what it means to follow Jesus because we overcomplicate or oversimplify. We overcomplicate or we oversimplify. We do one of those two things. We overcomplicate by making all of the rules and the regulations and the plans and the principles or we or we oversimplify by saying, I don't need any rules, I don't need any plans. And this is a, this is a struggle, that, that the struggle is real for the church and its whole existence between, here's your fun, fun words for the day, legalism and antinomianism. Legalism being, I'm going to make all these rules so that I know I'm right. Antinomianism being, I don't, I don't need to be righteous, I can do whatever the heck I want because grace covers everything. We're called to live in a tension, and, and the way that we live and navigate that tension is by modeling our lives around the three basic relationships that we saw Jesus model for us in the Gospels. We see Jesus model three basic relationships, up, his relationship with the Father, in his relationship with the disciples, those who are on the inside, and out his relationship with those who do not yet know. Up his relationship with the Father, in his relationship with those who already know, out his relationship with the disciples. One of our groups working through this asked me this week, is up most important? Would anybody like to guess at what the answer is? Yes, good job. Plus 50 points, guys. Way to go. Listen, it's going to be a good day. Here's why up is most important. If we as a church have no up and only out and in, we are no longer a church. We are a club. The Rotary is an in and out organization. The Lions are an in and out organization. Up is what defines us. Up is the most important. Up, when we experience that up relationship, when we experience that up relationship, when we're intimate with the Father, when we're living life in prayer, uh, when, we're, when we're engaging in that up relationship, that is where we experience the presence and power of Jesus, which we long to share with those who do not yet know, those on the outside. But in is also important. It's kind of hard to say one of them is more important than the others, but it probably is true because the power and presence that we experience in our upward relationship, communally and personally, does not go directly out. It is filtered through the in. And so if we do not like one another very much, if all of my relationships are marked by conflict and strife and gossip, that power and presence is going to be gummed up in the pipes of my in and never reach those who are out. Which is why the call is forgive one another, bear one another's burdens, support one another, love one another. And, and the reason we need strong in is because if we're doing all of this work out, we're going to do this journey on thing this summer. We're doing our one thing projects where you're sharing. I know so many of you are inviting your friends and, uh, to this, to feast, to a whole bunch of different things. And you're making those invitations. But if there is no in or if what is in is a whole bunch of people who don't like each other, nobody's going to want to come back. Okay, you don't seem to understand that. Is that not true, though? Like, I need, I need a little more interaction today. We're having some fun today, okay? So, because if there's no good in, if we invite them in on a Sunday morning and everybody is just giving sidelong glances to one another and kind of like, hi, very surfacy, why come out from the out into the in? And why come from the out into the in if there is no up, if the, the up is what makes our in compelling, because Christ dwells in the presence of his people, the way you and I love one another is the best demonstration of our relationship with God. Uh, John says, um, nobody has ever seen God, but, that's interesting, nobody's ever seen God, but if we love one another, his love is made manifest among us. Which means God's love becomes visible in the way that we care for one another or don't. 
So we move from up to in to out, and that's where we're going to talk about. We're going to look at that out relationship together today. We're going to see how when we delve into the up and into the in and out and through the out, how God moves. And here's the funny thing about this series, y'all. I know that this is a high, if Jesus operates on a spectrum from invitation to challenge, this is a high challenge series for us. This might be one of the highest challenge level series that we've done. Don't worry, it gets easy next week. We're going to start preaching through the book of Revelation. No big deal. But just when you think, listen, just when you think you have reached the point, Jesus calls us deeper. And that often feels like Jesus just moved the goalpost. It may be cynically and in under stress, it sometimes feels that way. But if, if we're called deeper, it's because there's more of Jesus for us to experience and recognize and live with. Right? And so Steph and I have been pretty committed to a discipleship lifestyle, being disciples and making disciples for about two or three years now, really since Regen started. And man, we're like really rocking it. And then Jesus says, we want you to make, Jesus says, I want want to encourage you to make disciples in a higher challenge way. Why don't you have Kat, the intern, live with you over the summer? All right, that's like mid-June to mid-August, no big deal. And then Kat moves out and in the process, like three weeks later, Sarah moves in. And now we're like discipling all the time. And then they're like, hey, there's, and then she's like, you know, you still got two more bedrooms. And uh, so why doesn't Aaron come too? And now like we're, I mean, the, it just gets deeper. And the trick is, is even as it gets deeper and it gets more challenging, it also gets sweeter, okay? Nobody wants to play in the shallow end of the pool their whole life. And if you do, it's boring, okay? What did we all want to do when we were kids? Get to the deep end as fast as possible, right? And I grew up at the Warren Olympic Club, which meant swimming like three miles down this long lane, right, to get access to that. So... We see Jesus living this outward relationship all throughout the Gospels. And if you're at all familiar with Scripture, and if you're not, that's okay, because a lot of us aren't yet. Um, And even if those of us who know it don't really know as much as we think we do. We see Jesus living this out relationship, right? He's teaching crowds. He's healing the sick. He's casting out demons. He's performing miracles. But there's also some one-on-one interaction. There's a woman that's sitting at a well, and, and she is an outcast in her society. She has no friends. Jesus goes to her and points out her spiritual thirst to her, shares the gospel with her, says, hey, I know that you're thirsty, and you keep trying to fill that thirst with all of these men in your life, but really what you're thirsty for is the water that only I can give you. Jesus uh, sees a guy named Zacchaeus. Those of us raised in church, we know this little song, right? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And he said, Jesus said, Zacchaeus, come out of that tree, for I'm going to your house today. Okay, this is a real story out of the Gospels where I guess Zacchaeus, who must have been a wee little man, um, climbed up in a tree to see this Jesus, but he did not know Jesus, and so Jesus calls him out of that tree, enters into his home, and it's not like Jesus has dinner and leaves. Jesus, like, takes up residence in Zacchaeus' house for a number of days. See, like, we're all fine with Jesus calling me out of the tree, but does he have to come in? Does he have to take off his shoes? You know, it doesn't, oh, Jesus, like, doesn't seem to be leaving as it gets to bedtime. He moves in. And as Jesus lives this out relationship, trying to communicate what he's offering to those who do not yet know, Jesus keeps saying this thing. He keeps saying, he keeps saying, the time promised by God has come at last. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. Jesus was telling that in his coming, a new kingdom, a new way for the world to operate was busting through into our reality. Uh, It's like Neo waking up out of the matrix. What he thought was real isn't real. There's a whole other version of reality. That is for us what we call the kingdom. 
and the kingdom is busting in, and the kingdom elevates those who are poor and lowly and oppressed, and it lowers those who are proud and, and empower, and it turns everything upside down. Jesus grabs 12 dudes and says, you're going to help me you're going to help me announce the inbreaking of this new kingdom, this new way for the world working. You're going to help me do that. And he doesn't stop at 12. He looks at you and I. Once we've stepped across the line of faith, he looks at you and I and says, now you are going to join me in announcing this inbreaking kingdom. And here's the thing. His invitation isn't just to follow the rules. His invitation isn't to vote a certain way. His invitation isn't to like, forward that in Facebook message that's like, Jesus says, if you deny me, I will deny you, so I'm going to share this, and if you, know, you don't share this thing, Jesus isn't going to let you into heaven. Okay, I swear to you, if you share that with me, I will drive to your house and toilet paper it. Okay, do not. His, his invitation is, is so much, and challenge is so much harder, because his invitation to you and I is to use our mouths to use our lives, to use our stories to announce this in-breaking kingdom with our coworkers and our friends and our family and our neighbors. This is why Paul in 2 Corinthians 5 says, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them, and he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation that you can just tweet about at your leisure. No. He gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation, so we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak, shoot, if it hadn't been for that word, right? We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. We are called to use our mouths. We are called to use our mouths. And here's the truth about this, no matter how many sermons I've heard about this, and I've been following Jesus for a long time in my life, no matter how many books I've read, no how many undergraduate or graduate level classes in the nature of scripture and the kingdom and the gospel that I've taken, no matter how hard I pray about this, it was a long time in my life before sharing my faith became fruitful. And it's because I had misunderstood what Jesus was challenging and calling and inviting me to when he says, we are Christ's ambassadors as if God were making his appeal through us. See, I thought it was up to me to initiate something. I thought it was up to me to initiate conversations with my friends at school. I thought it was up to me to initiate uh, conversations with my co- well, I work at a church, so it can't be my coworkers, or at least we hope not, um, I, I, with, with my neighbors, with my friends, with people in my circles, people at the gym, that his call on my life is to, I thought it was to initiate those conversations. The only problem with that is when you initiate those conversations, man, that is what psychs you out. Um, my junior year of high school was my first year in the Lakeview High School Madrigal Singers. Thank you very much. And uh, any pride I felt, go ahead and back and dig through. If you're friends with me on Facebook, just keep digging back through my Facebook page until you find Kyle in a mauve tunic and mauve tights. And that was the punishment, right? The mauve marauder. I had a poofy hat. And uh, it's October. It's our first choir concert of the year. And on, at seventh period, the day of the concert, Mrs. Page looks at me and says, hey, Kyle, um, you get to have one of the solos tonight. And I'm like, well, of course. <laughs> you know. 
Um, uh, Kyle, only moderately more humble at 29 than at 17. And uh, so we go, it's a song called, and those, there's a lot of Lakeview people, so you know the song, Ryu Ryu Chiyu, okay, if you were at Lakeview at this time. Uh, and uh, she introduced the song, we start singing it, it comes time for Kyle solo, and guys, it disappeared from my brain in front of every, the, all of Rydell Auditorium is looking at me, and I am dying inside, right? So Mrs. Page stops the song, and in the way that only she can do, like goes and kind of laughs off, like, let's try that again. Couldn't remember it, twice in a row. I wept, I walked off stage, and I bawled my eyes out, because we all know that I hate public embarrassment. And so, um, and, 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 and that's how we feel it is, when we feel like it's our job to initiate faith conversations, that's what ends up happening. That's what ends up happening. Doesn't matter how much we've studied or the books we've read or how much we know, the moment comes for our solo and it's like, ah, right? We have no idea what we're talking about. What if instead what Jesus, and, and this is the shift we have to make and it's the shift we see Jesus making in what he calls his people of peace strategy. The shift is moving from initiating something to participating in something. Ooh, see it even rhymes. Um, it's a shift from initiating something to participating in something. Because when Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand, what he is saying is that I am already at work in the lives of your friends and your coworkers and your kids and your family and your neighbors. I'm already at work there. And Jesus isn't looking for us to initiate something. He is looking for us to participate in this kingdom that is breaking in. See, we believe in this thing called what, what John Wesley would call prevenient grace. It is the grace that comes before. Prevenient grace means that God is working in our lives long before we ever know about it. I mean, literally, guys, the, before the first time that you ever seriously thought about Jesus, that is a byproduct of God, by the Holy Spirit, working in your life to even enable you to think like that. That is a byproduct. That is a byproduct of, of, of God's grace doing something huge in your life, it is prevenient grace. A great example of this to talk about Zach and Jenna. Um, Zach is sitting on our couch. You know exactly what story I'm going to tell, don't you? Zach is sitting on our couch. This is months before he remembers that we were friends, much less months before he really stepped across the line of faith. We were friends with Zach and Jenna like for six months before Zach even really knew who, who we were, which is fine. I love you. It's okay. Um, and uh, Zach says, sitting on our couch, he's, Zach owns his own business. He was like really working his tail off. And he says, he says something amazing. He says, you know, I'm choosing to be selfish right now. I'm choosing that because I need to work on my business. That's what makes me happy, and that's just the way it's got to be. I'm just choosing to be selfish. Zach and Jenna are driving home, not 30 minutes after Zach says this, and sees one of those church signs, which frankly, like, I hate church signs, but it said, unselfishness is the way to happiness. <laughs> Jenna texts us. Oh my gosh, isn't that so weird? Zach just said that. And now that sign says unselfish is the way to happiness. I, I look at Seth, I was like, that's not, that's not weird. That is Jesus full bore coming to tackle him to the ground, right? And that's what he did. That is prevenient grace. And so when we live into this out relationship, it's not about initiating something. It's about participating in something that God is already doing. That's what God invited us to do when we came alongside Zach and Jenna was not to initiate anything because it's not about us. It's Jesus is their savior, right? We just got to kind of walk alongside them and participate in this thing that God was and is and will continue to do. And the way that we talk about this, the way that Jesus explains this to us is in Luke 10 with what he calls our people of peace, his people of peace strategy. 
his people of peace strategy. Jesus says this in Luke chapter 10. In Luke, I'm in the book of Mark, so that's not going to help you. Luke chapter 10. The Lord now chose 72 other disciples and sent them ahead in pairs to all the towns and places he planned to visit. These were his instructions to them. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. Okay, time out, church. He said the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So where is the need? Is there need for more work or is there need for more workers? Workers, right? There's plenty of work to do. There's just not enough people to get it done. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into the fields. Don't do this if you're not ready to be sent. Because watch what happens. He tells them to pray this and then he says, oh, and go now. Oops. Go now and remember that I am sending you out as lambs among wolves. Don't take any money with you, nor a traveler's bag, nor an extra pair of sandals, and don't stop to greet anyone on the road. Whenever you enter someone's home, first say, may God's peace be on this house. They were Jews, so they probably said, shalom. May peace be on this house. And if those who live there are peaceful, if they are people of peace, the blessing will stand. And if they are not, the blessing will return to you. Don't move around from home to home. Stay in one place, eating and drinking what they provide. Don't hesitate to accept hospitality because those who work deserve their pay. Jesus tells us that there are people in whom he is already at work. These are what we call people of peace. We are invited to participate in God's work by identifying and coming alongside people of peace. And Jesus says people of peace have three traits to look for. First, people of peace welcome you into your home or into their home or into their lives. Welcome you into their homes and into their lives. Very shortly after hanging out with Zach and Jenna the first time, Jenna invited us over for dinner. Okay? They may not invite you over to dinner. They may say, why don't we go out to dinner sometime? They're going to try to seek a connection with you. Jesus says, do not move around from home to home. Why? Why is it that somebody inviting you into their home looks like, why is it that somebody inviting you into your home looks like people of peace? Because I don't know about you, but a lot of people feel like their home is their castle, right? I'll do anything and serve anywhere, but this space is my personal space, right? My home is my castle. So when somebody invites you into their castle, that is a sign that God is asking you to come alongside them. The second thing is that people of peace seek to serve you or to show you hospitality, they see a good way of this, they'll try to buy you a drink, they'll try to buy you dinner, and you need to not do what Kyle does every time, which is say, no, 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 right? You never, I don't know about you, I don't say no once, I say no nine times, right? No, 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 right? No, 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 We were just, we're watching this great show right now called Fresh Off the Boat, and the brother and his, the two brothers are like trying to help each other and they're both just back and forth going, no, 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 And so when they, this is, why is that a sign that God is working in their life? We live in a selfish culture. So when somebody comes over, when your neighbor comes and snow blows your driveway, when they help you with a project around your house, uh, when they offer to buy you dinner, that is a sign that God is working in their life and you need to accept what they offer you. And, and Jesus says, don't hesitate to accept hospitality. Finally, people of peace seek your advice because they know that you know something that they don't know. Right? They know that you know something that they don't know. So they ask your advice. Now, if you're paying attention, 
Uh, we talked through People of Peace back in our Love the 330 series, but a lot of you have been living the People of Peace lifestyle. And then the question becomes, what am I supposed to do with People of Peace when I find them? And that's where the Bells lifestyle comes in, Bells. And so I want to give you like five practices, five ways to engage with People of Peace. Now, a few things before I say this. First of all, again, we are in high challenge mode right now, and that means some of you, for some of you, this feels like walking through the valley of the shadow of death, okay? Because it was, because generally as a church, we're pretty publicly invitational, right? Like, come on, we're just going to love Jesus together. It's going to be great. Um, so when we up challenge, sometimes it feels like we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. The other thing I would say to you is if this feels overwhelming to you, Commit to practicing, to picking one of these and practicing it for four weeks before you add another. But don't let this month, don't let February go by without kind of engaging in one of these practices regularly. And you actually have a little thing in your bulletin that helps you remember what that is in your program, a little thing you can stick on your fridge or whatever. Let me talk to you about each of these because we see Jesus doing this. And the point of the Bell's lifestyle, the point of this out lifestyle, is simply to put you in a position with a person of peace that Jesus rubs off on them. Paul says that Christ is making his appeal through you, right? And so when we put ourselves around people of peace, something rubs off. Hopefully there's something compelling and curious about the way you live. Do you want to know why you need to live a cons not a perfect life but a consistent life? The reason Jesus calls us to a consistent life is because inconsistent Christians immediately smell like BS to people far from Jesus. Immediately. They can smell it a mile away. And it doesn't matter what you check in or what you do, but the minute you're inconsistent and you don't call yourself on it, the minute you're inconsistent without humility, they're done. Jesus calls us to live compellingly, hopefully to elevate some curiousness. But let's look at the bells thing. The first is bless. So this, each week, I will bless three people, at least one of whom is not a member of my church. I will bless three people, at least one of whom is not a member of my church. A couple ways to do this. Words of affirmation. Listen, you've never met a person who's too encouraged. Okay? Have you ever, has anybody ever said something nice to you and you're like, I'm good, thank you. No, because you were like, thank you so much, right? You need, everybody needs encouragement. So words of affirmation are a huge way of doing that. You write something, you mail it to them. There's this thing, I don't know if you've ever seen it. Um, it's a piece of paper and you use a pen, you write on it and you stick it in this thing called an envelope, okay? <laughs> then you find it's a sticker with a flag on it and it says forever, right? And you put that on the envelope and if you write somebody's address, the most amazing thing happens, guys it goes to their house, right? And then they can open it up and read it. I don't know if you've ever done that before. It's, it's pretty neat. Um, they also have this technology called text messaging, right? And we don't even have to do like when we were in middle school. Do you remember when it was T9? And it was like ABC, DEF, GHI. And I mean, it was like, hang on. Hey. <laughs> How are you? to, oh, hang on, back up, back up, today, right? Guys, there's a keyboard in here. It's amazing, right? And you can use that to encourage somebody, um, ideally a person of peace. An act of kindness is huge. 
there's somebody, actually he's part of our community, so this is not one of his for people, like for somebody not in our community. He's been snow blowing my driveway lately, and I swear to you when it happens, I could kiss him square on the mouth. It is amazing, right? Acts of kindness, and then gifts. How many of you have ever been, drive, been in a drive-through, and when you go to pay them, they say, the person in front of you bought your coffee? How many of you has that happened to? It is the coolest thing that will ever happen. And it doesn't necessarily build relationship, but that is a great way to bless somebody. When you are out with somebody for coffee, buy their coffee. Unless they're a person of peace, then let them buy your coffee, right? The rules are kind of crazy. But, but uh, So you want to bless somebody. You want to eat with somebody. You want to eat with somebody. At least one, I will eat with three people this week, at least one of whom is not a member of our church. I will eat with three people this week, at least one of whom is not a member of my church. Now, some of you are saying, Kyle, that's a lot of, that's a lot of times. Okay, y'all look healthy. Uh, how many meals a day are you eating? Probably three, which makes for how many meals every week? 21, good job, which means all the invitation is to use one-seventh of your meals to, to eat with somebody. Um, this says sharing meals together on a regular basis is one of the most sacred practices we can engage in believers as believers. Missional hospitality is a tremendous opportunity to extend the kingdom. We can literally eat our way into the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. If every Christian household regularly invited a stranger or a poor person into their home for a meal once a week, we would literally change the world by eating. Um, Jocelyn actually said this to me when, like, maybe back in December. She goes, man, you guys like to eat here, don't you? And I was like, yes, we do, right? Uh, which is why, like, guys, if you've not been to one of our feasts next Sunday night, you will be blown away by what's going on in there because y'all cook real well. Um, and uh, it's, it's delicious and, you know, not made for those of us who are dieting. And uh, eat. So you spend the meal, you spend three meals eating with somebody, at least one of whom is not a member of your church. So you build this into your life, right? You, you and your kids have a sports practice. You invite a family from that team before the meal, before the practice or after the practice. You have to be at work. You eat lunch with one of your coworkers. Um, you, you, and you build this into your ordinariness of your life. Bless, eat, listen is the next one. I will spend at least one period of the week listening for the Spirit's voice. And here is why. When you are engaging with people of peace, there are no rules. There is no program. Because all the time you are walking this spectrum like Jesus walked between invitation and challenge and you never know when it's time to push and when it is time to be gentle. And the only way that you know that is if you are spending time intentionally listening to, the, listening to the Spirit's voice in regard to the people of peace in your life. Zach says to us early on, well, Jesus isn't the only way, right? Like, surely, like, there's a lot of different ways uh, for, for people to enter heaven. And Steph and I look at each other and we think, well, we're not ever seeing these people again. And Steph says... Here's challenge, right? For us to believe what we believe, for us to take scripture at its word, it means that Jesus is the only way. And I said, listen, if Jesus isn't the only, is, is not the only way, if there are multiple ways, there are a lot of things I can be doing to do good in the world for a heck of a lot more money than what I'm doing them now, which I thought was funny and nobody else did, but it's true. If Jesus is the only, isn't the only way, like, I, I need a new job. Um, and you have something better to do with your Sunday morning. 
we needed to hear God's voice in order to know when to challenge and when to invite. You need to hear God's voice because on the one, on far end of invitation, it's almost like you become so much, you, you kind of are just engaging so much in it starts to become like gluttony. It starts to become like gossip. It starts to become like drunkenness. The gossip piece is there because there's a person of peace in your life and you're out to lunch and what's the easiest thing to talk about? People that you both know. The other far side of that is judgmentalism and Phariseeism, pietism, legalism. And really what this says is it is possible on the far left side to look nothing like a Christian And on the far right side, to be such a weird, extreme version of a Christian, nobody's going to be interested. And in his book, uh, Michael Frost, who gave me this, says, missional Christians aren't happy at either end of the spectrum, but trying to figure out how to sit somewhere in the middle, a godly, intriguing, socially adventurous, joyous presence in the life of others is tough. And we're never clever enough to do it on our own. That's where the missional voice of the Spirit comes in. His promptings help us to adjust our stance. His promptings help us to adjust our stance. This is why, let me decide if I'm talking out of turn. This is why at most public events in our church, alcohol is present. Because to make a rule on either, and we don't want to go to the far left, but we don't want to go to the far right, right? So we don't want to make rules about what we do. We want to hear God's voice and do what he says in a way that is responsive. And we don't want to be so unlike the world that there's nothing compelling about us, but so like the world that there's nothing new. It's kind of what this is, this listen spectrum. In other words, making disciples is not about rules, as much as his relationship with that person and relationship with the spirit and hearing how those two things interact all the time. Is that good? Was that helpful? Really, um, making disciples is not about, let's, here's the rules we're going to follow. It's about having a relationship with the spirit and a relationship with this person and always kind of looking at how those two things interact, which is why we have to learn, spend, the next one is learn. I will spend one period of the week learning from Jesus. Here's why you need to do that. At every turn, Jesus does not behave like a good Christian. At every turn, Jesus does not behave like a good church member. Look at Matthew 11. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And he says, but wisdom is justified by her deeds. Jesus evidently ate a heck of a lot when he was with people. He drank a lot while he was with people. He drank so much that from the outside observer, it looked like he was a glutton and a drunkard. It looked from the outside observer that he was spending all of his time with the wrong kind of person. Hear me on this. He was spending his time with the wrong kind of person all of the time. Jesus was not a good Christian and he certainly was not a good church member. We have a problem when our rules in churches would forbid Jesus from being a part of it. Right? Son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, he's a glutton and a drunkard. We have to learn from Jesus. You have to read the Gospels, and watch specifically for the Gospels, not just like the words of Jesus that make you feel warm inside. Watch the way Jesus invests in the life of people far from him. And it never fits Sunday school. It never has clean edges. But it's always right and true, and he says, wisdom is justified by her deeds. Lastly, sent, sent, I will 
keep a journal throughout the week about the ways that I interrupted people's lives with the love and grace of Jesus. That's a really good line. We should make that our mission statement. Oh, wait. Here's why you need to keep a journal, because I don't know about you, I can barely remember what I had for lunch yesterday, right? Much less lunch I had for Wednesday. And so I'm investing in all of these people of peace, and when I journal my way through that, I start to see patterns, and I start to see movement, and I know how to pray for them, right? And when I journal that, it helps me keep track of it, which is, and it's not long, and maybe you end up doing this with your, your significant other or a sister or a brother or a parent, but like, you're talking through that at the very least. In our house, we do that a lot. Um, in our house, we actually have uh, a kind of a practice in our, in our family on mission is what we're calling this. So Sarah, Aaron, Steph, and I together are, are an extended family on mission. And um, we have one of those letter boards that are all the rage right now. And on that letter board are all the names of people of peace in our life. Aaron's co-workers, um, Sarah's co-workers, a couple people that we went to school with that we just sense God is doing something in. And that just kind of helps us and it helps in conversation for us to bear in mind and reflect back on how we saw that. Two of Aaron's co-workers came to dinner and uh, when you bring them over for dinner, by the way, the goal is not to tell them about Jesus. The goal is to build a friendship with them. So these two guys come over and uh, uh, we... we we, they, they brought up religion on their own, which is going to happen. I'm a preacher, right? So it's built in. And we had to hear the Spirit's voice because they said a couple things, and I thought, I have questions about that, but is this the right time to ask them? Pray about it in that moment. Lord, am I supposed to pursue that? Okay, I'm going to try. Ask a question, right? Let me give you a couple reminders, and we'll, we'll receive communion. We're out of here. If this feels high challenge... Remember that we are not trying to be a church. We are a church, but we are not trying to be a church. We are trying to be a movement of disciples. Which means high invitation, high challenge. And right now, high challenge. And if this feels overwhelming, pick one of these practices to do over the next month. Embed it in your regular life. Okay? And keep in mind that we are participating in what God is doing. We are not initiating something. We are participating in it. And the great news about that is it kind of gets the weight off of your shoulders. Okay? And ultimately, who is this about? This is about Jesus. This is about the Jesus. And that's why I read Psalm 103. It's about this Jesus who forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases and redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like the eagles. He gives righteousness and justice to all who are treated unfairly. He will not constantly accuse us, nor will he remain from ever, will he remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us, with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love toward those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. I mean, if that is true about the Jesus that we're here today, I want other people to know that. I want other people to know that. I want other people to know that. And, and I don't feel shamed into this. I, I don't feel guilted into this. Instead, I want to participate and join God. I want to join God in what he's doing. If you want to experience Jesus, guys, like just go where he's working. And that's why actually a lot of you love Regen because God is doing something here. 
but it's not in terms of self-interest. It's not purely up and in. It's up, in, and out, right? Which is why the most important person in the room is who? The person who's not here yet. The person who's not here yet. Let's pray. Hey, God, um, man, if, I am, if I'm making people feel ashamed, Lord, just like remove anything that I said out of their brains or help them write me off today. Um, but God, if, if there is something that was true said, if, if there is a real need today, if there is a real thing, would you, um, would you help us to know that? Would you help us to know that? Would you help us to just know our next step? Would you help us to hear your voice today? God, we just want other people to know you. We want other people to experience what we experience every day of walking with you. And uh, so we ask for your help. And we're so thankful that it's not all on us, but instead an invitation to participate in what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen.